This is A Drink with a Friend. I'm Tish Oxenreiter. And I'm Seth Haynes. All right, Seth, what are you drinking today? Well, as you know, I'm traveling through the great Southwest. Mm -hmm. I've dipped my toes all the way down in the Rio Grande. And now I'm all the way back up in Oklahoma City. And I'm staying Mm -hmm. in a little bed and breakfast called the Bradford House. Fancy. Uh, Well, their tagline should be pretty people eating pretty brunch. (laughs) That really should be their tagline. And I don't mean that in any way as shishi or insulting. It is they everyone here is legitimately amazing. Hmm. Um, But on my way back up from the cafe, I ordered a cup of coffee. And mm-hmm. it's really good. Nice. I don't know what it is. Don't know what they're brewing. Don't know how they're brewing it. Um, but I just know that I can actually taste flavors other than char. That's a that's a good sign for a hotel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, that's what I think. So what are, what are you drinking? Um, it is really basic. It's H-E-B brand sparkling water. So mm. <laughs> what makes a frequent appearance here? But this time it's passion fruit flavored, which is somewhat new to me as of this year and I really like it. It might be up there as one of my more favorite flavors. So it's a million degrees here. So it's become a daily ritual to have one or five of these. Yeah, I totally understand that. Do you ever eat passion fruit? Just have you ever eaten passion fruit just on its own? I have in Hawaii, which also sounds bougie and fancy, but it's, it wasn't. Um, And it was really good, but not like in my normal life. Have you? No, I've never even seen a passion fruit. Right. It's really good. Um, I, I think I like more passion fruit flavored things. Like I've had a passion. Uh, so in Hawaii, they call it lilikoi. And so I've had like lilikoi butter. Hmm. And that's like a spread, like a jam. Super, okay. super good. But I think it's actually probably because of all the sugar that's added to it. But it, yeah, it's, but, yeah. Anyway, I mean, passion fruit's good. When you take anything yeah. that's fruit flavored and then you add a whole lot of sugar... Right. Like, it's just kind of tasty. Yeah. And that's basically what it was. So. Yep. Well, and we were on I, vacation. So as one does. Not? Yeah. As one does. In fact, right. I drank uh, my first, uh, so- speaking of drinks, I drank my first uh, soda type of uh, beverage when I was down in Marfa. As you know, I was down in Marfa, Texas, and we ate at Marfa Burrito, uh-huh. um, which is pr- maybe the best burrito I've ever had in my life. Yeah. Um, and I had a an actual soda with it. I felt like how could you possibly drink or eat this like big amazing burrito without an incredible, you know, Mexican uh, pineapple soda. Nice. Yeah. As you do when you're in West Texas. So I'm glad you, you got that experience. Yeah. That's yeah. cool. Yep. All right. Well, so two weeks ago, two episodes ago, I should say, we did an episode about dead people whose art helps them live on and and art that we still appreciate in our day-to-day life. And and we went full range from like actors all the way to musicians from hundreds of years ago. And it got me to thinking a little bit about, okay, I really do appreciate all these dead people, but also alive people are pretty okay, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, it It's easy for us to com- kind of pendulum swing the other way sometimes and say, old stuff is best and down with anything new. And, you know, I, I appreciate the heart behind that, but there's still really great art and things being made out in the world. And I, for one, forget that sometimes. And to kind of add even another layer on that, 
I can be such a curmudgeon about social media, but there are people who use it really well and who are not trying to make a name for themselves and become an influencer or thought leader. And I think it might be kind of fun to highlight some of our favorites. So uh, totally. what are your thoughts about alive people and why <laughs> why you like them? I mean, the, the truth is like you can't talk with dead people, right? Right. You can't go to church with dead people. You can't sit at the bar with dead people. I mean, you can bring their books to the bar and feel like you're sitting with a dead person or in your library or whatever. Um, but dead people don't talk back very well. I just, you know, it's just a fact of life or perhaps maybe we should say a fact of death. Yeah. Um, so here's why I like living people because they're alive. Yeah. It's just that simple. So um, <laughs> I I do love uh, just the artistic conversation that you can have with someone. And as much as I and we have talked about not liking social media, and I do actually think it's probably one of the single largest influencers in the coming downfall of the world as we know it and the impending, um, you know, dystopian reality of tomorrow um, there is a good side of it. And the good side is you really can find these people that you um, really appreciate what they're doing, uh, whether it's artistic or just from a hobby perspective, even, mm-hmm. um, or whether just what they're, you know, talking about, thinking about and doing on their farm. Um, you can find these people and interact with them. And and there is something that that can be beautiful about that if it's done right. Right. Exactly. And, and I think you and I have experienced that we, we continually work on, quote, curating our feed for the sake of um, appreciating these people more, you know, and I, for one, am grateful for the internet as a writer, because it has afforded me the ability to do what I do. So it's good to not disparage everything about social media. It's just hard to find those who, I mean, sometimes it feels like looking for a needle in a haystack to find the people out there that you would really connect with. And so we thought it'd be fun today to highlight those that we have found and maybe our listeners can start following them or appreciate their work or buy their books or listen to their music or whatever it is. And we're we're using this term really broad artists because we also just mean people who are doing good things in the world right now. Yeah, I think everything is art. I, yeah. I think every every expression of uh, human skill and human creativity is a form of art. We've talked about this before. So, yeah. you know, Kyle may not be a classical artist, quote unquote. You're Kyle, um, yeah. but the things that he does with with uh, his hands and with you know uh, remodeling and and building and woodworking and all of those things like that that is absolutely a skill, a craft, an art. Um, you know, I know, uh, attorneys who write amazingly, uh, clean, thoughtful, logical, and, and just pieces of, of writing in their briefs that are just amazing. And that's a form of art. So, um, we just need to expand that definition a, a little bit, probably today as we talk, um, and just recognize mm-hmm. that all the people we're talking about are doing something creative, something artistic. That's right. And that's kind of the whole point of this whole show, right? Sacramentality, finding the divine and everything. So Yeah, that's right. That creative right. spark. That's right. Okay. So why don't you start us off? Tell me somebody who is currently living that you appreciate. Okay. I'm probably going to have um, a lot of Instagram because, you know, I love pho- photographs. I love photography. I kind of can get lost in them. Um, and so my first find is uh, Leslie Villarreal. 
Okay. Um, yep. Her her hashtag is uh, or her uh, her name her screen name is Leslie L E S L E Y Brown B R O W N, and she is a photographer based in Marfa, Texas. What? <laughs> Come to find out, so you're neck of the woods, at least in Texas. Right. Um, and I found her because I was following some Marfa hashtags while I was in Marfa. Ah. And some of her uh, photographs are hilarious. She's made these little Marfa memes. Uh-huh. And so she has one with this beautiful, you know, cloud coming over the, you know, the plains with a, a rainbow and the words at the top are sort of in that Prada style, you know, like the Prada uh-huh. store that's out in Marfa. Yep. But it says Marfa, incredibly mediocre. <laughs> yeah. I think that's hilarious. And then it there's is. another one that says, uh, it's this you know beautiful landscape of a mountain and a cow and and the big words are Marfa, it sucks pretty good. <laughs> and I will funny. say, the photography is amazing. Um, the idea is hilarious because as we talked about uh, before, mm-hmm. you know, jumping on to record, like Marfa is sort of a meta joke on itself. It's yeah. kind of fascinating and cool. Um, but, uh, you know, when I was there this week, a lot of it was closed. A lot of it, you know, the galleries were closed. And so it was really just like being in a southwest Texas town where the roads weren't very well taken care of. And mm-hmm. outside of the burritos, it was just sort of hot and had the feel of art without any of the substance. Sure. Yeah, it's a pretty good way to describe Marfa. Yeah. So I think I think Leslie Brown That's cool. uh, is killing it. I think she's doing a great job. She's like capturing it. the essence of Marfa vis-a-vis Instagram. Uh-huh. Yeah, I'm looking at her feed right now, and it, she's got one of the Prada store, and it says dumb, but we still drove to it. Right. <laughs> it's so true. <laughs> and I did. I, it's dumb, and I still drove to it, and I captured yep. my early morning shot of it um, and posted it because that's what photographers do. That's right. That's they right. go to the dumb stuff, and they post it. I love it. <laughs> All right. So what, what's your uh, what's your first my first, I have some Instagram people as well, along with some Twitter people, but I'm going to go with someone who I don't think is really on social media, or he used to be, but then got off for, I think, good reasons. But he is doing some great art, and he does have a podcast. And this is James Acaster. Do you know who this mm, is? No. Okay. James Acaster is a British comedian. He's got a fantastic Netflix special, so we will link to that. He's got a podcast whose name eludes me at the moment, but we'll add that to the show notes as well. I can't speak to it though, because I've never really listened to it. He is so funny and he is so weird, like genuinely bizarre. And that's why our family likes him a lot because we are drawn to the absurd and he is very absurd. And so he's not for everyone. Like you watch him and you think, I think I know that guy from middle school who was just really odd, but seemed really confident in himself and didn't care that he was the weird kid in class. And now he's managed to make a living from it. So I I can't quite describe beyond that. I heard him say once that his dad, whenever someone complimented him on, on the success and talent of his son, his dad's first reaction was, well, he's not for everyone. So like the fact that even if his dad says that, um, I think says something about him. So I'm not now, selling is, it very well, but he's great. Is this the guy who uh, on his Netflix special, he does the first uh, part of his set on his knees for no yep. 
No reason, no explained reason? There is a reason if you know it well enough. But uh, yes, he starts it off and then without missing a beat, the timer on his watch goes off. He he taps it and he stands up and continues with no problem at all. No breaking of the flow. But he talks about why elsewhere. You just have to know. And that's that's what makes him great is because he's very um, he's got his inside jokes with his diehard fans and he's not going to explain them. You have to seek him out the explanation. And I think that's what makes him great. And like, I have a kid who is on the spectrum, the autistic spectrum, and he really resonates with James A. Caster's humor because it's so absurd and it's kind of literal. And so, you know, just expect quirky, but I really, really like him. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, that's kind of awesome. And when I first saw him, I thought, huh, that's, he just did 20 minutes or whatever on his knees. That's kind of weird. It is kind of weird. You know what? I'll also put a link in the show notes just to a three-minute clip that's on YouTube that I think showcases his best stuff. He does this bit about the British Museum that is so spot on and well done. So I'll I'll add that as well. If you want to, like, get a taste before you're diving in. I do think he's hilarious. We watched a lot of it, and then we had to go to bed. But it was pretty – it's – like we laughed hard, like yeah. our sides hurt. We laughed hard. Yeah. Um, but I, I do wonder again, whether this is the case of Tish being an Anglophile, which like puts him over the top. It probably is. Cause he's also, he's got a uniquely British style of humor, very dry and self-deprecating, which is my, my flavor yeah. of humor. So yeah. Okay. I dig it. All right. All right. How about you? Who's next? All right. I'm going to go back to the wall of Instagram. I am an Ozark uh, person, an Ozark man. I love the Ozarks. I love my state. I don't love my entire state, to be very clear. (laughs) Um, And I think if anyone's honest, they would say that about their own state. Not Mm -hmm. every part of your state is awesome. So shut up, man. Um, (laughs) Which is sort of how I felt about Texas. Like you don't really love all. There's no way you can love all of Texas. It's too big. It's way too uh, big. And it's way too diverse and different. And uh, so anyway, I, whenever people are like, oh, I love my state. My state is the best. I'm like, come on. There are pockets you hate. But there is a an account. Uh, there's an account on Instagram called Wonderful Arkansas. Hmm. And it's just exactly how it sounds. <laughs> Wonderful Arkansas. And what they do is they highlight photographers from around the state. Mm-hmm. And and so there will be photographs from like these regions of the state that I'm tempted to say hold no beauty or hold nothing worth seeing. Um, these parts of the state where I'm, I kind of dismiss them and they'll highlight these photographs. And when you look at them, you're like, oh, no, actually, we live in a really beautiful state. Even some of these areas in the Delta or Southeast Arkansas or all these places that I typically would just tend to write off. Um, they, you know, highlight photographs from there and it gives me a real appreciation for my state. The other thing that it does is it actually like introduces me, um, to photographers in my community. And I think that's really important. That's a a piece that we've lost with all the social media connection is who is doing the stuff that you love in your actual physical community. And so just the connection there, um, that I've been able to make over the last month or so as I followed this account has been pretty cool. Yeah, that's what's really fun about even just using the tag location feature on Instagram is when you start finding people in your area. So I would imagine that's even better because you've got the combination of local plus 
artistic lens through which they are viewing their location. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, not every one of the photographs is like my favorite, um, but it just showcases again, like the people of the state who are trying to do really, really good work. And my guess is that every state has something similar. You know, there's some photography feed from your state um, or from your region. If you live in a big state like Texas, I bet um, that just really, you know, would help you connect with and find the people who are doing amazing work in your neck of the woods. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good segue kind of to who I was going to mention next. So I'll just go ahead and mention it. So my Substack subscribers got this week a new World at Home installment. I'm dusting that back off and starting the series up again. For those who don't know, it's a series I do for my uh, paying supporters where we talk about something to watch, read, listen, or do to learn more about the world without leaving your home. So the world is spelled W-R-L-D. So watch, read, listen, do. And so I just mentioned to them, to you guys, an episode of Rick Steves podcast. So talk about basic (laughs) in a way. Talk about old school. Um, I used to really side eye Rick Steves because, you know, I wanted to be this like cool off the beaten track traveler. And he, to me, was the epitome of cheeseball dad you know, with his polo shirts and his quirky voice and the way he explained things. But I don't know if it's just the older I've gotten or the less I care about being cool, the more I've really grown to appreciate Rick Steves. And he does a lot more than just his PBS show. He has a really good podcast. He does a lot of good just travel talks on different uh, venues where he talks about the why of travel and not just so much like go to this cafe in this town in France. Yeah. Um, so Rick Steves, I really appreciate his artful approach to travel because of how he is really, he has a learner's posture. He doesn't act like he knows it all, even though he has been literally guiding trips since the 70s. So he does know it all. But he still has this really great learner's posture. And he is just, he's surprisingly laid back and chill and open and curious. And I really like that. So I listened to one of his episodes this morning and it instantly put me in a better mood. So the reason I even listened to it is because I was in kind of a bad mood this morning. And he made me appreciate where I was in the here and now. And that's one thing I really have grown to like about his work, especially during the pandemic. At first, I avoided it thinking like, that's going to be the worst thing for me. Because all I want to do is leave town and I can't or go to Europe and I can't. But he actually really incorporates his mindset to wherever he lives. Like he lives in Seattle. And so in this particular episode, he and his guest were talking about like ways to find European little nooks and crannies in the United States. Yeah. And mentioned some. And there was one from two hours from here called Fredericksburg, Texas, which we've been to many times. And it's like a weird German enclave in the middle of nowhere. And so it just made me appreciate where I lived, which is hard to do in the summer in Texas. So if he can, (laughs) if he can make me appreciate Texas in the summer, then that means he's doing his job. So Rick Steves is my next person. And I will link to his things that are maybe less known than his PBS show. Can we talk about his ambiguous accent? Where is he from? <laughs> well, yeah, I know. So he's born and raised in Seattle. Like, in fact, what's weird about him is even though he travels all over the place, apparently he lives really close to where he grew up, like near his parents. And But his grandfather was from Norway. 
Mm. So he grew up hearing his grandfather speak Norwegian. So I don't know what else to say about that <laughs> other than he just does have a weird accent. I know. It's weird. Sometimes I'll watch him when he's in, you know, Ireland or whatever. And I'm like, oh, he sounds Irish. And then I'll watch him when he's in a Scandinavian country. I'm like, oh, he's Scandinavian. And then I'll watch him when he's, you know, in America. And I'm like, no, he's got to be American. Is he Canadian? Yeah. <laughs> it's so confusing. Yeah, I know. He's nice like a Canadian, but he's just plain old Pacific Northwest American. Um, I mean, whatever that means. But yeah, he does have a weird, maybe it's because he's traveled so much that he's picked up on speech cadences. I don't know if that's a thing, but yeah. We should ask him. We should have him on the show and ask him. That would be fun. There are crazier things that have happened. So Squad goals, man. Squad there we go. Goals. There we go. Okay. So who's next on your list of living right. artists? From So th- this week, while I was down in uh, Texas, I was talking with uh, Wynn Collier and John Blaze, two of my very good friends, about writing. And we wandered into the topic of sentimentality. Mm. And we, we began to talk actually about, uh, you remember Thomas Kincaid, the old painter? Yes. So we started talking about his work and why does it make us want to um, burn everything and kill all hope and die a <laughs> right. miserable set? It's, just, it's, ter- it's awful. It's terrible right. work. I'm sorry. If anybody out there is a huge Thomas Kincaid person, then you now know my opinion. <laughs> um, if you need to edit that out, Kyle, feel free to. Um, <laughs> so anyway, so we were talking about that and the and the idea there was that like all of that sort of playing to sentimentality without any of the the grittiness or the texture of life um, is actually over the top. It's too saccharine. It's too much. Like that's why mm-hmm. it's so cloying, right? Is that it's just so sentimental without any like real texture. Yeah. Um, and it's sort of spawned this, this conversation about the great cathedrals of the world and how in the great cathedrals of the world, you do sometimes have these weird little, you know, naked baby cherubims, but you also always have sort of God on the judgment seat. And you always mm-hmm. have sinners dangled over, you know, the, the fires of hell. And so we were talking about like, how do you do this in writing? Like, is it possible to preserve some of that sentimentality, which is actually, it's a human need. It's a need for hope, you know, mm-hmm. is there a way to preserve some of that um, and do it in the right way? And it got me thinking about a book that I really, really love. Okay. Um, it's by Garth Riss Kahlberg. It's called City on Fire. And hmm. you may remember that I was like a huge advocate of this book back in 2015 and 16. Okay. Um, not a lot of people, I mean, it was kind of a hit miss with the critics for two reasons. One, it's sprawling. And there's a point in the book uh, where it, it just sort of degrades into chaos. <laughs> but two, it has a really good ending. And the hmm. ending is maybe sentimental, a touch sentimental. Hmm. But as I read the book and when I got to the end, I thought that is the ending that I needed. Hmm. And then I started th- thinking about uh, Sunil Yapa's, uh The Heart is a Muscle, The Size of a Fist. Yeah. And, and, and again, I was thinking about this book with them and I was saying, you know, the ending like really nailed it. It was the ending that I needed and it was kind of a touch sentimental. Hmm. Um, and so when I was thinking about those two books and how the author sort of deliver this sentimental moment, it's not hallmarky. I thought, man, I really appreciate both of those authors because they were able to really pull together 
something that was hopeful and true and beautiful. Um, and I think humanly true out of utter chaos. And so I really appreciate uh, Garth Riss Kahlberg. He's going to be my next my next living person. Um, I hope he writes another book soon because I'd be interested to see um, if he continues that. But But he really just pulled out something beautiful and sentimental, but something that wasn't cloying. And that is art. Mm, I love that. That's really good. I was, as you were talking, I was trying to find, I saw a really great tweet today. I thought it was a retweet from John Blaze, but I guess not. I don't know who did it, but it had to do with sentimentality and why we're so taken by it and why it steers us so wrong. And it has mostly to do with this idea that we pine for a past that actually never happened. And I thought it was really spot on this idea of, you know, that it's okay to reminisce and, and kind of long for an ideal, what should be in our world. But whenever we pretend like the real isn't there, um, that's when it gets wrong. And I think that's why Kincaid's art is so bad because there's no nuance, but um, I think there's room for sentimentality when it's well-placed. Yeah, I think that's right. And, and you know, it would not surprise me if this is something that John talked about or, or spoke about or wrote about or tweeted or Instagrammed or whatever, because mm-hmm. um, we were having that conversation, you know, and yeah. I think uh, the thing that I love about John and the thing that I've always loved about his poetry is that it provides those sentimental hooks that you need. Like, mm-hmm. um, and, and when you think about the word sentiment, what you're saying is it helps me to feel. Yeah. That is not a bad thing. It's not. Um, it, it's just when it helps you or it tries to make you feel too much, mm-hmm. um, and that's when it just goes goes wonky because it 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 becomes sort of a, a Frankenstein's monster of itself. Mm, yeah, and I want to just toss out. I he didn't make my list, but I think he needs to be honorary. John Blaze is really good to have on this list, so I'm just going to include him in the show notes, even 100%. though. He's an actual friend of yours, but he his poetry is spot on, I think, yeah. especially for our unique time and place in history as Americans in the 21st century. Mm-hmm. And building on that, too, I think um, his Twitter feed is gold. So good. Yeah. yeah. At John Blaze. Is it just at John Blaze? Looks like it. Yep. Yep. At John Blaze. A yep. great follow. He's someone who can really tackle the issues of the day. Um, with deep meaning and truth and nuance without being a jerk. Yeah. Okay. So who's your next one? All right. My next one, it's really funny because I see that John actually tweeted about her, um, but she was on my list anyway. Uh, The Nigerian-American writer Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie. Have you ever read Mm. anything from her? No. Oh, my gosh. So good. She's one of those writers that makes me angry because of how good she is that I kind of, you know, as a writer, just think, how does she wield words that well to say exactly what needs to be said in such good word economy? Yeah. Um, She's not flowery, but she just is such a stellar writer. So uh, a few years ago, my Substack community, we read, we read a book together every summer. That's kind of a bit armchair travely. And so we read her, one of her earliest, it might have been her earliest novel, Purple Hibiscus, in, it takes place in Nigeria. About um, it, it was kind of one of those, it's fiction, but apparently it, it rang a little semblance of truth in her own life. But it's about her Catholic father who 
was just a hard nose. Um, she actually had a great relationship with her parents, but it, it's about the protagonist's father. Anyway, mm-hmm. um, so well written, even though it was a bit heavy for the summer. Um, I've since read several other of her works. Um, I think one of her well-known ones is called Americana. She's written, oh gosh, uh, Half a Yellow Sun was one of hers. Mm-hmm. She also just has really great short stories and short essays around the internet. She she's a regular contributor on the New Yorker. Um, she's got a great Ted talk called the danger of a single story where she um, really digs into this idea of tropes that we hear, oh, wow. like what is a Nigerian like? Um, and, and really hits home this idea of when you've met one person, you've met one person. Yeah. And um, I just really like how she thinks she's, she's either our age or a little bit younger. I can't remember. Um, but she just she oozes wisdom to where she just seems so much wiser for her years. And she's well spoken. She's got a great listening voice and she's articulate and she's just a great person to to support through, you know, buying her books and, and taking in her stuff. I don't think she's on social media as far as I know. Um, which is probably why she's really good at what she does because she invests her time and energy in in that kind of stuff. But um, yeah, so read one of her books. I recommend her highly. She's a great writer. Yeah. All right. Here's my final my final call. Great. And this is sort of a global call. Um, okay. You know, one of the things that we talked about earlier was was just maybe artists and people who aren't you know quote unquote thought leaders mm-hmm. uh, trademark. Yep. Uh, people who aren't you know out there trying to build a platform. Um, they're not trying then to make themselves famous. They're not chasing ego. They just simply are what they are. Yeah. Um, and I know we've talked about Heather King before, but mm. I'm going to just say she's got to be one of mine. And it's okay. not just her writing. Her writing is really good. You know, she she exists in this sort of Catholic nonfiction space. Um, she's done stuff before, um, you know, did some stuff for national public radio before and, um, knows how to tell a story. Um, but it's, it's kind of just her whole vibe. Like Mm. if you read her books, um, but then if you go to her website and if you follow her on Instagram and on Instagram, she's Heather King dot desire lines. And there's something about just her overall presence uh, aesthetic, hmm. the way that she writes, um, just like her overall vibe that I just feel like, man, she's doing something right. Hmm. Um, and just from a human perspective, she's just doing something right. I don't feel like she's in this for anything other than to tell what is true and to tell what is beautiful, to show what's beautiful, to show what's good. Um, and there's something about that, that, that really just attracts me and I love, so I love her work. I love her on Instagram. I love her books. I love her articles. I think she's phenomenal. Uh, and everyone should uh, read her stuff and follow her. Nice. I'm going to follow her now, right after this. I, I have not been following her and you keep bringing her up. So I'll take that as a sign. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, go, go to her Instagram. I mean, she's 485 followers, you know? Oh, nice. Yeah. That's She's not trying to, you know, do something huge. But even when you just look at the aesthetic of her page, like if you, you know, the layout of it and you just scroll down, you're like, oh, she is unashamedly in love with saints. She's unashamedly in love with the Southwest and with art. And, you know, 
just the way that she's pulling all this together in a very authentic and, uh, you know, genuine way. Um, and even sometimes like she's got a photograph that's, you know, her last photograph, um, which I think was posted today. And it's not like she's out there trying to, you know, take some artistic photo, I don't think, but the way that she's framed it, the colors that she noticed, mm-hmm. um, it's, it's actually artistic. Nice. Um, it's just in her, you know, yeah. and I love that. I love that too. That's really cool. All right. So to wrap this up, my final one is not going to be anything deep at all, but he really does make my day better. And it's a Twitter follow. So that's kind of a running theme with me is I like making Twitter a place that I like to be at. And it is a guy named Bose, I believe Harrington. I think that's his last name. But Yeah. Um, He's got a couple accounts, but the one I'm thinking of is Sketches by Bose, um, which he's currently calling Al at the library. Mm. (laughs) His, His little bio just simply says, quality tweets for the old soul, fairy tales, beauty, wholesome whimsy. And I think that is exactly what he does. So you don't follow him for pithy thoughts that, you know, are hot takes on the culture right now. You follow him because you want to be, maybe this is kind of reflective of that idea of sentimentality, um, a certain sort of sentimentality that is absolutely not cloying at all. It it actually brings tears to my eyes sometimes because it's just so wholesome and innocent and yet really niche. And you have yeah. to know books, I think, to follow what he is talking about sometimes. Um like I'm going to try and find some here that are just at the top that I, I really love. Let's see. He says, uh, whenever you're feeling sad about your life, remember that at least your parents didn't name you Eustace Clarence scrub. Um, I really love this one. It's funny how at midnight on her 40th birthday, a woman stops getting cat called by strangers and starts solving crimes in the village. <laughs> um, <laughs> so well done um, boys stop trying to impress a woman with chocolate and flowers and instead anonymously gift her a country house with a generous stipend so she can pen the books that will make her immortal <laughs> and then sometimes he does say really just spot on things that speak to our culture in this one he says we spend so much time dissecting books in school that we can easily forget why they exist in the first place to thrill mm. and shock and enchant us every kid needs to experience the rush of picking up a book and being captured by it discovering reading is a joyful thing and yeah i couldn't agree more so he's a great follow um and i'm glad i do so there you go that's awesome i follow yeah. him also and take great pleasure in it yeah good All right. Well, those are living artists that we really appreciate. They're not trying to make a name for themselves. They just do what they do and they do it well. I would love to hear from listeners who they really appreciate that are possibly doing the opposite of what they, quote, say you should do on social media. So um, fill us in on social media, I guess, who it is that you follow. So I think we had a bunch of great picks today. And I'll I'll tell you, as a result of that, I don't think we need to share uh, what we're reading, watching, or listening to this week because it should be pretty evident what we're reading, watching, or listening to that has brought a little bit of truth, (laughs) goodness, and beauty to our lives. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, honestly, these people are pretty much on my list right now. So, yeah. Agreed. Agreed. All right. So, let's shut her down. All right. Sounds good. You can find this episode as well as all episodes at a drink with a friend.com. 
And if you like what we're bringing to your week, would you please go leave a review wherever you listen to your podcast? The show really thrives on reviews because the better a show's review, the more places like Apple and Spotify show it to potential new listeners. So if you want this to grow and you want us to keep doing what we're doing, that's how you can help us. You can find me in all my work, especially my newsletter and books at tishoxenwriter.com. Seth, where can people find you? SethHaines.com. All right. Music for the show is by Kevin McLeod. Editing is by Kyle Oxenwriter. And Caroline Tassell is our transcriber and assistant extraordinaire. I'm Tish Oxenwriter, and Seth Haynes and I will be back here with you soon. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>